0: Soundprints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushaville. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Soundprints for the week of March 10, 2019. The Kentucky Talking Book Library has been distributing Braille and recorded books and magazines to Kentuckians who are blind and visually impaired since April 1, 1969. KTBL will celebrate its 50th anniversary on April 1, 2019, from 1230 to 2.30 p.m. in Frankfort. Adam Rushaval, who directed the library for several years in the 70s and 80s, joins me on page two to share some of the history of the development of the National Talking Book Program from its inception in the 1930s until today. And he includes many interesting details about the program in Kentucky. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind had a busy roundabout this past Friday, March 8. We had 32 attendees, some of whom worked on loom knitting, braille, iPhones, and family trees. There was much visiting with friends, Paddy Cox served a fine meal of pork chops, fish, mac and cheese, salad, and ice cream drumsticks for dessert. We played bingo after dinner and we raised over $150 on our bargain table. During our discussion time, we continued the theme of creating personal and family histories. People were invited to share their early childhood memories. We hope you enjoy some of the stories on page three and that you will take this opportunity to preserve some of your early childhood memories. You'll find details of many events and activities on page 4 in the Sound Prince calendar. Page 2. On April 1, we will be celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Kentucky Talking Book Library. With me today is Adam Rushaval, and he's going to be telling us about some of the history of that library and the library program that You may or may not know, especially if you're a relatively new reader of Talking Books. Adam, we're so glad you're with us today. And uh, at the end of this feature, we're going to be telling people how they can participate in the 50th anniversary celebration. So welcome to Soundprints.
1: Thank you, Carla. I always like to talk about libraries and books. And so I appreciate having the chance to.
0: Adam, usually on Soundprints, you're editing the uh, the files and edit putting the program together and making it happen for us to listen to every single week. But this week, you're going to be sharing with us some of the things that you did uh, in your uh, working days at, at the library and telling us about the people and the types of things that it served. So let's hop right into it. Tell us, first of all, how you became interested in talking books.
1: Well, Carla, I read my first talking book when I was eight years old, and I was in the hospital with an eye operation, and that was in 1957. And the first book I read was The Little House on the Prairie book by Laura Ingalls Wilder, and I think it's significant today that that was the first book I read because in that series, Laura Wilder went from covered wagons in her life to flying on airplanes. And of course, in 1957, that is when the law was passed to allow talking books to be recorded for children as well as they were for adults up until that time. And maybe I'll have the chance here to talk a little bit about the history of the program. But anyway, when I read that book, that was the first one. And, of course, today uh, we're reading books that are digital. Uh, They can be downloaded through the Internet. And they went from big 33 and a third speed vinyl records, which were very heavy, back in 1957, to smaller records, to thin plastic records, to cassette tapes, and now to digital books. So, uh, like the covered wagon and airplane, our book reading has gone through a lot of changes as well.
0: Now, while the program is called the Talking Book Library, it also offered Braille books. It does. So they can receive Braille books, not only on... Paper In paper braille, but also in digital files that play on note takers and other similar braille displays.
1: The the history of the Talking Book program itself is very interesting, Carla, because in 1933, when the program began, books were recorded at 33 and a third revolutions per minute RPM uh, for Talking Books and 15 minutes per side of a record. Oh, my. And
0: can you imagine reading uh, War and Peace, 15 yes. minutes aside?
1: For instance, the book Gone with the Wind was recorded on 108 of those album size records and took about four containers yes. to uh, have those mailed to you. And you can imagine the weight of those books.
0: Well, oh, I think we had those in the uh, library at the Kentucky School for the Blind. We had uh, the, we had gone with the wind in there, and it was huge.
1: Yes, it was, and I definitely remember that too. And then later, it was recorded when they went to a smaller record. It was re- recorded on twenty-seven smaller records, and I think they were about nine, eight, or nine-inch records, and at sixteen and two-thirds RPM, mm-hmm. and so they could get the same amount of recording time but as you can see by a much smaller number of records then they went to a thin plastic record uh, either what they called flexible disc or sound sheets depending on where they came from mm-hmm. and the book was recorded on 13 of those records
0: and we thought we'd really arrived when that showed up
1: and those thin records were very <laughs> thin and lightweight so
0: but they scratched easily uh, too
1: yes they did but but as far as the technology goes, uh, it was really an advance. So that's part of it, but another interesting thing too is that in 1933, books were recorded at 33 and a third RPM. The first music album for commercial use wasn't recorded until 1948, 15 years later, so the talking book program through the American Foundation for the Blind, actually developed to that technology and the speed and the size of the record.
0: Oh, wow. That's interesting. And uh, uh, that also was produced at the American Printing House for the Blind after AFB did the first recordings, was it not?
1: I think the first one at APH was done in 1936, and I might have to check on that. And the first book was Gulliver's Travels.
0: yes let's talk a little bit about the talking book program itself when we were children our books and also when we were young adults and in college our talking books and braille books came from the cincinnati regional library uh, we were kentucky was part of a region served by the uh, cincinnati library uh, and and they you know they came in the mail just like they do today, but they were those enormous, as you said, heavy uh, 12-inch records and also the the Braille books, and Braille books were very limited, but uh, if you wanted to borrow them, that's where they came from, and then in 1969, Kentucky was fortunate to get its own regional library established in Frankfurt, so tell us about the history of that program and your involvement with that program beginning in 1974.
1: Well, I do want to go back and cover just a little bit, Carla, if I could. Okay. Uh, Back in 1933, when the program started, up until 1957, the Talking Book Program through the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped was mainly done for adult readers. Oh, very true. The titles that they did were for adults although there were a few classic children's books that were recorded. And then in 1957 the uh, Congress passed an addition to the law which permitted books for children to be recorded. In 1956 even though books were sent from the Cincinnati Regional Library which also sent books I believe to several other states, uh, the Talking Book Machines were uh, sent from the Cincinnati Regional Library, but in 1956, uh, a fellow named Jack Perry began distributing the record players for Kentucky out of the Kentucky School for the Blind, and then moved to two or three other locations uh, before ending up at the Kentucky Talking Book Library itself in the early 1980s. Jack delivered the talking book machines across the state. Uh, They could be mailed and were very heavy and made of wood cases. Uh, But he also drove and hand delivered the machines sometimes. And then uh, when the machines were in need of repair, Jack also would repair the machines. And so he was heavily involved with that from 1956 until he retired in about 1994, I think it was, so Mm. uh, about 38 years. As we said, the Talking Book Library in Frankfort was established April 1, 1969, and a lady named Frances Coleman was our regional librarian. And when we talk about regional librarians, uh, each Talking Book Library that served at least one state or more I have what they call regional librarians. Uh, we, of course, had our own here in Kentucky. I began work, Carla, in January 1st of 1974, and I always like to tell people that when I started, my first day on the job with as a state employee was on January 1, which was a holiday. <laughs> so my first day on the job was a holiday. I worked in Frankfurt at the Talking Book Library for about 14 years. And when Dina Wilson left I became the regional librarian. When I was hired at the Talking Book Library I was very fortunate because I was in graduate school in 1973 at Murray State University and there was a lady down there Edna Milliken who was in charge of the special collections at the Murray State Library. And of course, she knew me pretty well because I used that for my degree.
0: Adam, I'm sure you lived in that library.
1: Well, I think I spent a pretty (laughs) good-
0: She had to know you well.
1: (laughs) I I spent a pretty good amount of time. I I spent a lot of time looking at library things, not necessarily dealing with my uh, studies, but it was just (laughs) a lot of fun to do that, you know. Yes but then also uh, the head of the Murray State Library was uh, Charles Hines and in 1973 Charles Hines was hired as the Kentucky State Librarian and he brought Edna Millican along with him as a division director and they wanted to hire a blind person to work at the Kentucky Talking Book Library and so having known me they contacted me and, and Uh, I was able to apply for the job, and of course other people applied as well, and I was very, very fortunate to get the job, and so I began, as I said, in January of 1974. My experience with the library was very interesting. We, uh, of course, had not only talking books, and I think at that time there were about 4,500 talking books available. And by this time... Actual they, books that could be borrowed. Actual titles. Yes, okay. We had multiple copies of the titles but mm-hmm. uh, to circulate, but that, that's how many titles. We had 4,500. And we also had Braille titles, and I think at that time we had about 2,200 Braille titles.
0: And were they doing magazines, too?
1: Oh, yes, we I had... Thought,
0: oh, that's right, yes. Yes, them did had, include magazines. Yeah,
1: we had... Uh, magazines have been done... Uh, For quite a while, and and those on Talking Book were uh, pretty limited back then. I don't remember the actual number, but today they probably have about twice as many as they had back then recorded. They also had Braille magazines uh, that were available, and those were sent uh, to people. The the Talking Book Library magazines, uh, some of them had to be returned in order for you to get the next issue. And they finally began recording those uh, on thin plastic records so that you could keep them as a patron and would not have to return each issue.
0: Yes, those, those uh, sound sheet magazines made great labels for things when you were finished reading them. You just cut them up and they became great plastic labels.
1: It was interesting to note that there were about 38,000 print books issued each year back then. Uh, and those were what they call trade books, which are what I call public library type books, mm-hmm. as opposed to textbooks. Okay. And yet, the Library of Congress was only able to produce 2,000 titles a year out of that 38,000. And then uh, we also had the Braille books, and they would do about 300 Braille book titles per year. Mm-hmm. And of course, the cost for producing Braille has always been pretty expensive. Today, having digital talking books and digital braille books uh, cuts down on the cost a good bit. One other thing, back in 1974 and 75, uh, there is a library reference book that was available called Books in Print. And the Books in Print was something that libraries used To look up to see if a book was still in print and available or whether it was no longer available in print from anywhere uh, as far as publishers would go. And uh, so you could look that up and, and find out if a book was available. However, for large print books at that time, they had a large print books in print and they only had about 1400 titles that were available in print ready to be used by people and and that was really a very very limited number and a lot of the public libraries back then had large print books Uh, for instance the Louisville Free Public Library the Lexington Public Library and the Kenton County Public Library uh, had good large print collections for what there was. But the number of titles was very slim. And the Kenton County Library, by the way, is uh, up around Covington, Kentucky, which is right across the Ohio River from Cincinnati. The point of that is, is that recently today, uh, in addition to talking books and Braille books, our Kentucky Talking Book Library now is also in charge of large print books.
0: That is a that's a real change that has just happened isn't it?
1: Yes, it is, and Barbara Pentagore, who is our regional librarian today, uh, is uh, in charge of that now, and so her duties have increased and changed somewhat. She doesn't get the chance to talk to a lot of patrons that she used to have.
0: So the program has has changed a lot over the years. Um, The program had uh, a lot... In the past, it's actually had a lot more patrons than it has now. Is that not... Is that not so? um...
1: I believe it. So when I first started in 1974, we had about 1,900 patrons Mm -hmm. statewide. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And then uh, in 1976, we opened what we called a sub-regional library in Louisville with the Free Public Library here. Mm -hmm. And then a second one was opened in Covington, Kentucky in 1978. And so when those sub-regional libraries were opened, uh, the number of patrons statewide went as, up as high as 5,500. And today I think it's dropped back down somewhat, but uh, that number of course goes up and down over the years, uh, I think.
0: Well, and today, um, the a person who is blind or visually impaired and who is uh, wants to do wants to read is is an avid reader has other options available to them in addition to the talking book actual the talking books that are produced by the national library service program the nls program because uh, there are other sources of accessible formats and and that probably has made some difference in the number of patrons that actually participate in that program. But it's still an extremely viable, very, very, very important program because of having the digital books and magazines, not only braille digital books, but also audio digital books that are uh, available uh, very easily, either mailed to people on cartridges, Um, the braille books are still available in hard form, but um, also books that can be downloaded from the uh, online sites that's barred, that's maintained by the Talking Book Library. It's just a very different atmosphere today.
1: Well, Carla, there were two other formats, too, that were kind of interim things. Uh, Believe it or not, in the 1960s and early 70s, NLS also had books on open reel tape. And there was a catalog that the NLS put out that uh, listed those books. And I'm not sure how many titles. I My memory, yeah. again, is very weak on that. Just a few hundred. Mm-hmm. But then also in about 1968, 69, NLS started recording books on cassettes. Right. And those first cassette books were recorded on two-track tapes. And they would get about 45 minutes on a side. And so you'd have two sides or 90-minute total per cassette. And they had what they called the CB or Cassette Book Collection. And they had up to 815 CB books listed in their catalog Then they went to a (laughs) uh, cassette uh, format that was done on four tracks per cassette. They slowed the speed down from one and seven eighths inches per second to 15 sixteenths inches per second. And that doubled everything so they could get up to six hours of recording on a cassette. And they called that collection the RC Book Numbers and those numbers of course then uh exist for another you know 40 years and that uh got up into the thousands and then they started with the digital books so the entire collection now is really way up there as far as the number titles that are available i um began working as a blind person at the library and back then Uh, there had been only a few blind people across the country who had worked uh, in a talking book library at any position. And uh, to my knowledge, there were only about uh, four or five blind people who had been regional or sub-regional librarians. Today, of course, we have Kim Charlson who works at the Perkins Talking Book Library. Yeah, the
0: director there,
1: and she is the regional librarian or director mm-hmm. of that, mm-hmm. and that is a major library.
0: Okay, uh, let's talk about the activity coming up on April one. Tell us about the anniversary celebration and how we can be involved and how we how people can participate in this celebration of this great program that's been available to us for the last 50 years in Kentucky.
1: Well, as you might expect, this anniversary means quite a bit to me personally since I worked at the library. It's going to be on Monday, April the 1st, 2019, from 1230 to 230 at the Talking Book Library in the State Library in Frankfort, Kentucky, and I'm really looking forward to it. The staff at the Talking Book Library is working very hard to make this a great program. Uh, Anybody can go up and be part of that program that we're gonna have. We hope to have uh, some good speakers. Uh, Barbara Pinnagore has arranged for someone from the National Library Service to come down and be part of that we'll have some local Uh, people. Uh, We hope to have maybe a talking book narrator uh, from the American Printing House for the Blind. And uh, in 1976, the Kentucky Talking Book Library began a volunteer recording program and so we'll try to honor some of the uh, volunteers that are still doing that at the library and give them recognition for all the hard work that they've done. We've had volunteers who have repaired cassette players over the many years uh, for the library and so even though those, those aren't being used anymore uh, we hope to give those groups recognition.
0: Sounds like fun. How can people find out more information about this activity and let the library know that they're going to be attending?
1: Okay, you can call Uh, the Talking Book Library on their toll-free number of 800-372-2968 and make reservations and you should have received uh, a letter or uh, information from the library announcing the program and uh, try to let the library know that you're going to be coming or might try to come so they can make arrangements because we're going to have some refreshments there and also tours of the library. And so we need to have an idea of how big a crowd we'll have.
0: And if you are in Louisville and you would like to attend the celebration and you need transportation, uh, or you'd like more information, you can contact the Kentucky Council of the Blind at 502-895-4598. We are going to try to coordinate some transportation for the anniversary celebration. We cannot promise you that rides will be available, but we can tell you that we are making every effort to have spaces available for as many people to go as as would like to. We hope you'll be part of celebrating the history of the Kentucky Talking Book Library. Adam, is there anything else we need to add?
1: Well, I personally want to thank the Kentucky Council of the Blind for helping to sponsor uh, this activity and also our Tri-State Library Users Organization, uh, which is a chapter of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and also a chapter of the the National Library Users of America an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind and we uh, really want to support libraries and we'd like to think that we're doing that and if anybody wants to uh, donate toward the anniversary program or to the Talking Book Library uh, they can make a donation either to the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or they can make a donation directly to the Kentucky Talking Book Library.
0: Thanks so much, Adam, for being with us on Sound prints
1: Thank you, Carla.
0: Page three. Tonight, we're going to do a couple of things. Well, we're going to do one major thing. You remember last week, we talked about uh, the importance of writing our own stories. Whether those stories be about yourself or about somebody else in your family and I was thinking this week about this. The first thing in that list of tips that we had was to make a, to to create a notebook or a file and on each page if it's in your notebook create a page for each year of your life. Another thing that it talked about was writing the stories that you you know those those stories that not particularly the the stories that are real literary or anything but the the stories the interesting stories the funny stories the you know we had a great christmas time, a christmas uh, celebration in a particular year and who all was there just putting those kinds of things down and um, and we think, well, there's no need to do that. Everybody knows that. Well, no, everybody doesn't. So I was thinking this week, and, and I've, I've had this thought several times, but I was especially thinking about it this week since we had um, started looking at some of that as as part of our, some of us doing our family tree stuff, I was thinking that my mother used to tell these great stories about their her life, their life growing up in the country in Breath County. And and Cecil Cox will tell you that some of those stories just absolutely were the hilarious and could not be duplicated. I mean, you couldn't make anything up that was that good, you know. And, but nobody recorded it. And nobody wrote it down. And nobody else can tell those stories the way she told those stories because they were from her perspective on our EAT committee call on Sunday night, we were talking about maybe following up on that a little bit, and we thought that maybe tonight it would be fun if those who want to, you don't have to, there's no requirement, and we will not make you go in the hall and not give you dinner <laughs> if you don't do this. <laughs> but but um, we thought it would be fun if... Anybody who wanted to shared the first thing that you could remember, your oldest memory. We'll just start. And um, would anybody like to lead off? And if you would, if you, if you share a story, please give your name so that we get your name attached to your, to your story. Would somebody like to begin?
3: Uh, Bill Wright? I think I was about four. I went to, um, a lot of places with my, uh, with my sister. Uh, and um, she had a falcon. And I always got in the back seat. But this time, I got up front in the middle. And it probably saved my life. Because we was going to my uh, uncle, uncle Bill's uh, house where my grandmother lived, and it was a T intersection, and you came down the top of the T, and you made a hard right going over to his house, and uh, we was at the T intersection. A uh, guy who was drunk. Going to a uh, rooster fight, was flying, hit uh, us in the um, in the back of the car, and knocked and knocked the car about um, over a hundred feet. I think it was like close to like hundred thirty feet. I think he was going over hundred. And um, but we all, you know, lived through it. Um, but I was just uh, lucky uh, because the back seat came loose and ended up up against the front seat and the back doors, you know, was all messed up and everything and that car never to be, you know, never to be driven or nothing but uh, that's one of my uh, first memories. Okay,
0: all right, thank you. That was that was a pretty good one, Bill. That started us off with a bang. <laughs> All right, uh, who else? Do so we have another one?
4: Yeah. I don't know how old I was. I was either two or three. There's been some debate about that ever since uh, my mother died. Um, but I was, my mother was having a baby. We he he died, but. Um, I went to stay with my grandmother, and my brother went too, I guess because he was 12 or 13, so he had to go. My older brother stayed home and went to school. But anyway, we took this huge long walk, or at least I thought it was, and I didn't think we'd ever get back to my grandmother's house. I didn't know how we were gonna get back, but we just kept walking, and I think my aunt and my grandmother just wanted to kill some time. And I just said, how are we going to get back? How are we going to get back? Oh, well, we we know the way. We're going to get, well, I I sure didn't know the way back. And um, then my uncle came over, and I was drinking tea, and he said, why do you have your nose in that glass? You're supposed to drink tea and not put your nose in the glass. So I really remember trying hard every time I saw him not to do that. Of course, he was just teasing. But anyway, so that. Then I was very happy when my mother came home. I was very sad that I didn't have a baby brother, but anyway, that, yeah. That's my, I remember that just because I had to be away from home.
0: But that was a reason, too, that you would have remembered. Yeah. Yeah. All right. A good one. Another? Leanne Anderson.
5: Okay, Leanne. Leanne. I was six years old, and I remember giving my sister a bath. She had just had uh, her appendix taken out. She almost died. And I remember that. And the bathtub was green. And that's when we were living in Woodville.
2: All right, who else?
5: This is Beth Phillips, and I don't know, again, I don't know if I was two or three, but we moved when I was four and a half, so it was sometime before that. Um, We moved, um, I believe it was 2613 Colon Avenue, and I was out in the front yard, and I heard and saw from a distance that, of course, you've got to remember, my vision wasn't great and my little left eye. Anyway, I heard and saw a merry-go-round from a distance and I wanted to ride that merry-go-round. It just looked exciting. So I went in and got my mom and it approached and the closer it got, the louder it got. And point was, it scared me to death. I wanted nothing to do with that merry-go-round. So be careful what you ask for, you you may get it.
6: This is Leonard Watkins. Um, I was about 10, maybe even less. I was standing in the backyard on, um, I think it was 15th Street where I used to live. And I was about eight years old. And I was playing around in the backyard in the, some strange reason I don't know what got over me but I picked up a rock and I heard a, a car roll by in the alley it was in the alleyway and I picked this rock up and hurled it right through a man's window and so when I did that I ran in the house and hid in the closet and my family covered for me Say I didn't I, they didn't know who done it so it turned out to be a policeman so they covered for me and I stayed in the closet until he left and they didn't know I'd done it.
0: And Butch you are such a quiet and reserved person. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
7: Good Who would have
0: thought? I know. Really. Yeah.
7: <laughs> the last person in the room you'd I like
1: this.
7: This is Susan Card. And I got, and I don't remember getting it, but I got a car that I have in my house uh, when I was about three years old, three or four years old. And I remember going up and down the driveway in this car has pedals, it has a steering wheel, and I've actually created a story about this, and it has uh, steering wheel, pedals, and I would go up and down the driveway, I would park at the hedge and pretend I was at a store, or I'd park at the tree and pretend that I was at a gas station, that kind of thing, and we used to do like the... Back in the day when when your parents would fill it up and it was full service. So I had everything done to my car while I was there. I just remember doing that. And and, and that was just that was just the memory I've had and I've created a story about it. So
2: this is Deb Lewis. My very earliest memory that I can conjure up here is uh I was in the crib yet? When I was there. so I was probably less than two. So I was. have been told that I was taken out of the crib after this event. Well, I started climbing out of the crib, and my parents would find me playing with things on the floor in the morning. You know, and they came in to get me in the morning. So my mom picked me up and put me in the crib and said, "Stay in the crib." And I climbed right back out. She said, "Okay, show me how you do that." And I, and so I know I climbed. I put my leg over the, t- over the side of the crib and I held on with both hands and got the other one over. And then I just sort of slid down and dropped to the floor. And she said, okay, you're getting a bed today. <laughs> so that's what, you know, I, that's, I think I might have gotten that too, but she, I know she got me a bed. She said, you're going you're to hurt yourself.
6: Yeah. This is David Smith. So this memory was before my brother was born. So I must have been about four or five years old. Uh, My parents took me to Beach Bend Park uh, down in Bowling Green and uh, had a lot of fun. And I guess because when I got home, uh, I took my crayons out and decided I would draw a mural of the park on my bedroom wall. And needless to say, I got in a little trouble over that, and uh, they had to repaint the wall. And that's, that's still brought up to this day, once in a while. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Who else? All right. Who
7: else? I love that, David.
6: It's Alan, Trudiego. Alan. My earliest memory, I think I was around three, but we lived in a, a little. 2 bedroom house, the four of us, mom and dad and my brother and me, and my brother and I shared a bedroom but then they built, they uh, bought a bigger house so we got to move into a bigger house so we packed up all of our things in our house and we moved to the house right across the street so big move, that that's my earliest memory is moving right across the street
0: That is a big chore when you move right across the street. We did that one time. and uh, that, that, is, that is worse than moving across the country, I think. But we've seen that with this, that we've got a wide range of stories here. We've got stories that were related to illnesses. We've got stories that were related to fun times. And we have some stories that were related to mischief like Butch over here, <laughs> and David Smith. I love the mural on the wall, David. <laughs> anyway, this is just a little exercise to get you thinking. Um, if you're interested, I would encourage you, even if you're not interested in, in, in genealogy as such, even if you think, oh, that's really old, boring stuff, and some people, you know, it's like any other hobby. Some people like it, and some people don't. But even if you're not interested in that, at least think about things in your life that are interesting and, you know, little stories maybe uh, or things that you've heard about other people. Page 4, The Sound Prince Calendar. On March 12th, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, Savvy will have its monthly chapter meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. For more information, call 270-684-4418 or 270-686-8689. On March 12, the SAVI Board will meet at 7 p.m. Central Time by conference call at 669- 9006833 intercode 3572595193 March 13 is the monthly meeting of the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind 7 p.m. Eastern Time call 6054754700 and intercode 155619 For more information about NKCB call Jerry Slusher at 8597817369 on March 13, the KCBPR Membership Committee will meet at 8 p.m. Eastern at 669-900-6833. Enter code March 14 is the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision Support Group Meeting. This is an in-person meeting in Louisville from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. At United Crescent Hill Ministries, for more information, call... March 15 is another savvy workshop on accessible reading materials. This is part two of the workshop from 10 a.m. to noon Central Time. Join them to learn more about NFB Newsline, Bookshare, Learning Ally, and more at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. To make reservations, call 270-684-4418 or 270 8689 March 15 is the GLCB roundabout. It will include education and technology from 3.30 until 5, a tip sheet from 5 to 5.30, dinner beginning at 5.30, and then a visit to the American Printing House for the Blind to see the performance of Charlotte's Web as part of their Reader's Theater. To sign up, Call 502-895-4598. And more about the Reader's Theater, March 15 and 16 is the Braille Reader's Theater at the American Printing House for the Blind, 7 to 9 p.m. on Friday evening and 1 to 3 p.m. on Saturday afternoon, March 16. APH's Braille Reader's Theater presents the classic tale of a terrific radiant and humble pig named Wilbur in Joseph Robinette's adaptation of E.B. White's Charlotte's Web. The tale begins when a soft-hearted farm girl named Fern interferes with her father's plan to turn a scrawny piglet into pork chops. As Wilbur grows and begins to cost his owner a fortune in feed, it takes the help of all his farmyard friends to save his life again. This classic tale of friendship, selflessness, and the circle of life will enchant audiences of all ages at the American Printing House for the Blind on Frankfurt Avenue. This is free to the public, but registration is required. Best for Ages 6 and up. Call 502-899-2213 to make reservations. If you plan to attend with the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind on Friday, March 15, as part of Roundabout, please call GLCB at 502-895-4598 to make your reservations so that we do not have duplicate seating. March 16 is the Savvy Bowling Outing, 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. Central Time, at the Diamond Lane South in Owensboro, register by calling 270 By noon on March 15, Savvy will pay for rental of up to two lanes. If additional lanes are needed, the $44 per lane cost will be divided equally among participants. Everyone is responsible for shoe rental, $2.50, snacks, etc., March 17 is the meeting of the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Board at 8 p.m. by phone. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. March 18 is the Kentucky Council of the Blind Board meeting at 8 p.m. by phone. Call 669-900-6833 and enter three five seven two five nine five one nine three. March 22 is the GLCB roundabout, including Education and Technology, 3.30 to 5 p.m., the tip sheet, 5 to 5.30, page turners and a meeting of the Tri-State Library users, 5.30 to 6, dinner at 6 p.m., a KCB Next Generation activity, games and crafts after 7 o'clock. At United Crescent Hill Ministries, call 502-895-4598 to sign up. March 24 is the ACB Family Support Group Meeting at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. You can participate from anywhere in the country. Call 712-432-3900 and enter code 796 March 25 is the Guide Dog Users of Anna March Membership Meeting at 7 p.m. Eastern by phone. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. April 1. Kentucky Talking Book Library Open House and Birthday Celebration. Make plans to visit the Kentucky Talking Book Library's open house in Frankfort and help them celebrate 50 years of service. From 12:30 to 2:30 p.m. at the Kentucky Talking Book Library in Frankfort. For more information, Contact the Kentucky Council of the Blind at 502-895-4598 or the Kentucky Talking Book Library at 800-372-2968. On April 1, SAVI will have a program committee meeting at 7 p.m. Central Time on the Zoom line at 669-900-6833. Enter code 3572-595-193. On April 2, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have its next conference call. This will be a business meeting and support group call at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 669 900 6833. Enter code 3572 595 193. On April 4, the American Council of Blind Lions will have its monthly call for lions from across the United States. An excellent opportunity to share ideas about how to be involved in your local clubs. 9 p.m. Eastern, call 712-432-3900 and enter code 796 On April 5, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have a roundabout from 3.30 to 10 p.m., including education and technology, discussion, dinner at 6, and games and crafts after dinner. For more information and to sign up, call 502-895-4598. On April 6th, the Kentucky Council of the Blind will sponsor Crossroads, Remember the Member, from 10 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. The focus will be on member recruitment and retention. The $25 registration includes continental breakfast, lunch, and dinner. A $50 per car stipend is available to attendees from outside the Metro Louisville area. For more information and to register, call the Kentucky Council of the Blind at 502-895-4598. April 7th, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold committee meetings, advocacy at 7 p.m., and education, activities, and technology at 8 p.m. On the conference line at 605-605, 475-6006, 475 6006 intercode 294444 on april 8 acb next generation will have its nationwide business call at 8:30 p.m. eastern time 669-900-6833 intercode 3572595193 on april 9 the support alliance of the visually impaired savvy will have its monthly meeting in Owensboro from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time. Patty Haas of the Evansville Association for the Blind will share information and offer items from their store for examination and purchase. The social Committee will also finalize plans for the May Social at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. For more information, Contact Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418 or share a lot at 270-686-8629. April 12, Savvy Workshop, Ears for Eyes and MD Support, 10 a.m. to noon Central Time. Join us to learn about Ears for Eyes and MD Support, Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. Reservations are required. Call 270-684-4418 or 270-686-8689. April 12, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its quarterly meeting and elections. Beginning with registration at 4.30 p.m., there will be a variety of activities concluding at 9 p.m., all at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. The cost will be $6 per person. Please call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On April 13, there will be a savvy bowling outing from 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. Central Time at Diamond Lanes Midtown, 1901 Triplet Street in Owensboro. Register by calling 270-684-4418 by noon on April 12. Savvy will pay for rental of up to two lanes. If additional lanes are needed, the $38 per lane cost will be divided equally among participants. Everyone is responsible for shoe rental, two hundred fifty, dollars 50 snacks, etc. April 20 will be an Easter holiday open house from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the American Printing House for the Blind Museum. Visitors can write their names in Braille, see a book from Helen Keller's Bible, learn about guide dogs play games and read books designed for children who are blind and enjoy many other activities Easter treats and lemonade will be served for all ages call the APH museum at 502 899 2213 for more information and to sign up April 26 will be a savvy workshop Android phone accessibility and app sharing from 10 a.m. to noon central Learn about Android accessibility and some popular apps at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church in Owensboro. For more information, call 270-684-4418 or 270-686-8689. April 27, The Old Ball Game, from 1 to 3 p.m. Can athletes who are blind play baseball? Of course they can in the adaptive version of America's favorite pastime called Beep Ball. Whether in the batter's box or in the field, athletes rely on their auditory sense to focus on the beeping ball and the buzzing bases. The first documented game of baseball was played at the Kentucky School for the Blind in 1894. 125 years later, we're showing you how it's played now. At the American Printing House for the Blind Museum in Louisville, call 502-899-2213. For more information, on Saturday, May 4, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will host its annual derby party from 10 a.m. until 7.30 p.m. Food and fun and games all day long. More details coming soon. July 5 to July 12 is the 58th annual ACB Conference and Convention in Rochester, New York. Members of the Kentucky Council of the Blind are eligible to receive a stipend of up to seven nights hotel stay based on double occupancy at the convention. For more information, call 502-895-4598. And the 2019 reunion of the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Association will be Friday, July 26 and Saturday, July 27 at the Ramada Inn, 1041 Zorn Avenue in Louisville. More information will be available on SoundPrints soon. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Reschival for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.